back with us on the Buffalo Bread Podcast. Uh, we just passed through the Pro Bowl weekend. Um, you know, for whatever that's worth now. is It's more of a golf competition at this point than football. Uh, and all credibility for the Pro Bowl was lost when they elected Roger Saffold to that <laughs> illustrious group of people, um, which it would resolve itself in three of the five Bills offensive linemen for what is arguably the least or the lowest performing unit on the entire team uh, for the entire season uh, made it on the Pro Bowl. So uh, how are you feeling, Dan? We can start there and then get get into uh, our next topics, if you'd like. Um, pass. I don't know. Pass. Yeah. Flat pass. <laughs> you, pass. like Josh the... Allen, chose to just pass on the just Pro Bowl completely. The... It's not even worth it. I mean, the Pro Bowl, like, I never liked the Pro Bowl when it was a game because it was, yeah. it was just, it just wasn't football. And I think it's okay just to end the season with like an awards ceremony. Yeah. Like the fact that baseball does an all-star exhibition and hockey does an all-star exhibition and soccer does it, it just doesn't fit well with football. And I give them points for creativity, but like I was watch like I would tune into like the Pro Bowl games every now and then. And at one point they were playing dodgeball at another point they were breaking down styrofoam walls. I didn't know if I was watching like old school American gladiators or something like that. Like it just, it was, it was bizarre. And the flag football game did nothing for me whatsoever. So I just, I don't need a pro bowl. I need a super bowl, right? I don't need a pro bowl. So hopefully the pro bowl dies, the pro bowl and like all pro voting somehow becomes mingled. If the players and media can get together and make that happens. And it's just a, it's just like a credential you get at the end of the season that it's not celebrated by some silly antics or silly game that is meaningless. Uh, I'll t- I'll take your suggestion and I will I'll see it and I'll raise you. I like all of it. I like the voting, I like the awards and the, the honors, but I would like to raise you with two things. Take existing intellectual properties. One of them being the Highland Games from Scotland, like the caber toss and all of those like feats of strength that they do and have all of the linemen on both sides of the trenches do that, those activities. And then you have all the skill position players compete on the American Ninja Warrior course. (laughs) Wait, isn't the caber toss where they like throw a tree in the air? Yeah, it's like a telephone pole. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) and like kegs and all kinds of large, you know, or, or I could be convinced that doing the Pro Bowl games as existing competition strategies with the existing framework of, you know, the, the Highland games or like a lumberjack competition, but I'm really sticking with the skills, skills players need to do the American Ninja Warrior course. That's, that is a non-starter that, or that is a, you know, non-negotiable. That has to be the thing. Both of your suggestions are immediately better than what we saw this past weekend. Yes. So I, I would for sure get behind. I would for sure get behind that. I would love to see. I'd love to see like Creed Humphrey throw a tree trunk. That would be hilarious. Right. Yes, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Throw a tree trunk. Do the Atlas stones like in the you know Mister Universe competition. You know that sort of powerlifting type stuff. It would be fun. Um, you could scale it appropriately. I know that these guys have functional athletic strength, and they're not you know maybe building muscle for those exact types of activities. But I I just think alternatives should be up, you know, up for debate. 
Anyway, getting through. How are you doing, Dan? We're back on the pod. Today we have a couple of exciting things. Uh, one is that we're going to be speaking with a, a longtime friend of mine, Steve, who is an even longer time fan of the uh, Miami Dolphins. And, you know, as is our, our new way with the Buffalo Bread Podcast, we drop, we, dr- we, we drop the gates and we let enemy combatants into our castle um, at the end of the season. And so... Um, we welcome Steven to to talk about uh, the Dolphins, their season, their off season, kind of where he feels the team is at presently, um, and that's at the the end of the pod. Um, and prior to that, we're going to talk a little bit about the Buffalo Bills post mortem and building the defense for next year. We talked a lot a lot last week um, before our guest Jared joined us about the. Buffalo Bills and their offensive woes and what they need to do to kind of, you know, prop that side of the unit up. I, I think that having a few weeks behind us now, um, that the Bills season ended, has given me even more perspective. Um, and I have accepted that they are still a very good roster. They have a lot of choices to make this offseason that could potentially make them a less, you know, talented roster this coming season than they were last mostly because Josh Allen's cap hit goes from about 17 million to about 39 million. And yep. so without a restructure, um, they are 25 million over the cap or so, and they've got uh, some hard choices to make. And so, um, and many of those hard choices are going to come on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. And I, I think you could argue the two hardest choices or the two most high profile, uh, unrestricted free agents they have are coming on the de- defensive side of the ball in Jordan Poyer and Trey Edmonds. So it so the Bills are gonna restructure, obviously, a lot of a lot of deals. Like Taron Johnson can be restructured. Um Ryan Bates can be restructured. Um I mean you can outright cut a guy like Mitch Morse if you really needed to to free up what would ultimately be six million in cap space. Uh, you could not bring back Naheem Hines. I don't think he counts anything against dead cap, and that's $4 million right there. I mean, there, there's stuff. They're going to have to make some hard choices, but at the end of the day, all of those choices are going to lead them probably the ability to sign either Poyer or Edmonds, not both, and then fill out the roster with draft picks and minimum vet free agents. Like This is not going to be a big splash free agency on the defensive side of the ball like it was last year with Von Miller when when Bean pushed all his chips into the center. So I guess it makes sense to start the conversation there because that's a big both of those guys are big dominoes. Like Edmonds is the captain. He is the quarterback of that defense. He's relaying the plays, he's calling the checks, he's calling the audibles. And then in largely Leslie Frazier's system Safety play is paramount, and Jordan Poyer has been an absolute warrior and a leader for that team. I mean, when he was on the field this year, they were 12-1. and Um, That's how big of a difference he makes on that side of the ball. But Poyer's up there in age. Edmonds is approaching the, the prime of his career, and it seems to be that common sense and rationale would dictate that You let Poyer go, you start over a little bit with safety, hoping that you get a a good, healthy Micah Hyde back next year, and that you you re-sign a guy who you drafted to be a corner cornerstone of your defense in in uh, Tremaine Edmonds. Um, but he's not gonna come cheap. I mean, most of the salary projections have him at a annual average contract of right about what Matt Milano is making. 
So that's a lot of money to invest in the middle of your defense, granted two important guys in the middle of your defense, um, and still have a lot of money tied up in the defensive line too because you're going to be bringing back Daquan Jones. You're going to be bringing back Tim Settle. Von Miller, if healthy, will be back, and he's a massive cap hit next season. They're going to have a lot of money tied up in that front seven, and it's not going to give them a whole lot of money to spread around to improve that secondary if they do let a guy like Poyer go. So, JJ, I mean, if you are being, is it Poyer? Is it Edmonds? Is it neither? And you're starting over at those two key positions. Those are really your only two, your only yeah. three options. So, um, there, there's only two avenues I would take, and they both, they both involve Jordan Poyer walking. Um, avenue A is re-sign Tremaine Edmonds to, you know, um, Greg Thompson from Cover One actually tweeted a perfect contract for this, which was Edmonds six years, 105 million. Average annual value $17.5 million. And it's the first two years of that deal is like a $1 million salary with a signing bonus, you know, prorated. And then it balloons after two years because after two years, Milano is off the books. Yep. So you use you use kind of the, the beveling, you know, dovetailing that, that Bean has, has been known for to keep both cornerstones together for the next two years. And then you make a decision on Milano resign, or you have two years to bring an outside linebacker up to speed in the system, yeah. playing you know playing in roles. Or Terrell Bernard is something I don't know. I sa- I have no idea what that guy is worth because he couldn't even crack the field um, during his rookie season. So um, I think that both of the avenues I I have are letting Poyer walk, and Avenue B would be letting both walk, um, and. You know, there's some free agent linebackers out there, Jermaine Pratt, Leighton Vander Esch. There's some individuals that could be found, um, and there's also trade candidates out there as at linebacker. Um, Levante David is a free agent and still playing at an extremely high level as a coverage off-ball linebacker. And so um, there are cheaper options. The reason I do like Tremaine Edmonds is that I, I've always been a bit of a stand for him because I know how much they ask him to do in this defense. This defense is extremely difficult. And I think this year he proved in a contract year that he could do more. He wasn't as susceptible to quarterbacks playing him, you know, as he had many years past. And I know that everybody like gets, you know, tightened and angry when Bill's fans make excuses for Tremaine Edmonds age, but he is still what, 22, 23. Like, if he has I mean, a yeah. six-year contract, he's still not thirty at the end of it. So yeah, I mean, he's um, I think next year entering his his twenty fifth year of age, yeah. and he's got four four years in the league. Like it's insane. Yes, yeah, that's insane. So yeah, I mean, drafted when he was nineteen, he's he's going to play through some. You know, he may have played through his growing pains, and letting him walk at this point is giving up on what could potentially be a league leading, you know, defensive tone setting monster in the middle of your defense who they did put all the, they, they put the a first round 18th pick or something 16, on his name, yeah. 16th pick. Um, they put that in that he was the quarterback of their defense that they drafted right after they drafted the quarterback of their offense. Um, you don't do that. And then just let him play out his rookie contract, pick up his fifth year option and, and walk away. Right. Like, right. Uh, and so I do think 
I think that the likelihood that Tremaine Edmonds walks is incredibly low. I think the likelihood that Poyer walks is incredibly high, and I'm comfortable with that. Um, yeah, that's yeah. the and that's the business type of decision that you want to see Bean and McDermott make. Because listen, man, we love this team. Like they came up short uh, from their Super Bowl aspirations. But like to a man, we, you and me, we love everyone on this team. They love each other. They've been through everything. To re-sign Poyer is an emotional decision, not a business decision. And we love Poyer. That dude was an absolute, he, he was what this franchise needed to help shift and change the culture. And I wish the salary cap wasn't what it was because that's a guy who deserves like in baseball like a Derek Jeter, even though you know he's past his prime, he gets one last contract and he gets yeah. a farewell tour. You don't get that in football. But if there was a guy for the Bills that deserved it this year, it'd be Poyer for everything he's done on and off the field for that franchise. But the business decision is to let Poyer walk because he's gonna get he's gonna get upwards of ten million annually. He's probably not gonna get anything beyond two, maybe three seasons. But that's a huge investment to make for an aging safety that, yes, can still attack the line, can still play coverage, but probably due to his injury history, his best years are behind him. You know, if I'm a team like Chicago and I've got $100 million in cap space and I've got a really young roster because I just traded away a lot of key pieces, if I'm a team like Chicago, I might sprinkle uh, like a two or three year contract towards Poyer's way and be like, come do for us what you did for the bills, right? That'd be a hell of a pickup for a team like Chicago who needs a veteran presence to help teach some of the younger guys on that roster. It, but the bills are in their window. And when you're in your window, you got to make a decision to start to flip some of these positions, even if it means going younger with a lower floor of productivity, which is very likely what the bills are looking at. Cause even when you look at free agent safeties outside of Poyer out there, Jesse Bates, he's going to command a lot of money. Jimmy Ward, ton of money. Von Bell, ton of money. Terrell Edmonds might be the cheapest option, but if we don't re-sign his brother and we bring him in, that's kind of yeah. a dick move. You know, and then there's like veteran options, Want Thornhill, Jabril Peppers, and none of them really raise the floor from where Poyer is at right now, and they're going to cost an exorbitant amount of money. So you likely let Poyer walk, and you're likely starting over at that position in the draft. Well, it, and or you are more comfortable with Kyrie Elam taking a bigger role as an outside corner because the way that Leslie Frazier's teams have played or prior to this year, the whole um, you know cornerback outside corner by committee was never the thing. Like this was mm -hmm. the this this year was an aberration. It was for so many years Trey on one side and Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace. <laughs> Whose name I how quickly I forget Bills players when they're no longer Bills players I just erase their brain the their whole name from my brain even though he was there for four years so yeah it's Levi Wallace Trey White and they were part of the one hundred percent snap club with Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde for so many years that is the way that they prefer to do things and I actually see them getting back to that next year with a presumably healthier Trey White and with Kyrie Elam their number one pick who really started to show signs of growth and development late in the season, um, even though he was still playing on a committee. When they people are talking about this, you know, conspiracy theory, like uh, Christian Benford is going to be moved to safety, it's this whole thing. He, they talked about that at the post-draft press conference last year in the summer. They talked about 
Benford, not knowing if Benford was going to play safety, play, play CB, like they had aspirations to, to try him at both. He ended up playing really well at CB to start the year and got to start over their first-round pick. Um, and so I see it entirely possible that Benford and Hamlin compete for the, the job opposite um, Micah Hyde to start the season or draft pick, right? Like one of those three individuals could, could start the season. And I, I do think that this team prefers to have continuity and consistency at those roles. I think maybe they were afraid to have continuity and consistency because they had inconsistent young players. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and, and they'll be in a position in the draft where they're at picking at 27 to where picking a safety in, in, in that in that ballpark is not out of the realm of possibility. There's a lot of people, you know, mock, and it's stupid to do mock drafts before free agency, but yeah. we all we all do them. There's a lot of people that, that are mocking Antonio Robinson from Texas A&M to the Bills. He's basically like young Jordan Poyer, absolute warrior, great ball hawking skills, doesn't have elite speed, but is great in coverage and is amazing in the run, as a run-stopping game as well. He seems to be the the prototypical safety that the Bills would be looking for to replace a guy like Poyer and learn opposite Hyde for for a season. Um, and he comes relatively cheap, but so does Christian Benford, who's still on a rookie deal and was a what six round draft pick. So he doesn't count much against the cap for them at all. So it, the Bills, if they do walk away from Poyer, which again is going to be a sad day for me and you because we love that dude. Um, they will have some young options to fill that gap, it looks like. Um, it, man, it's a lot tougher if they let Edmonds walk. It really yeah. is. Yes. It, that, that those, are hard, those are bigger shoes to fill as far as I'm concerned. And that's saying something because right. both of those guys are rocks on this defense. But yeah, I, I mean, I think it's you re-sign Trey and you, you, you let Poyer walk and you yeah. get a little bit younger in the safety position on the back end. Well, and I, and I think you're right about big shoes to fill. I think he wears like a size 18 or something, but um, like an so actual he, size 18, yeah, yeah, an actual size 18. But he, uh, you know, jokes aside, Tremaine Edmonds' position in the defense, the way the defense is designed, is way more critical than a safe than a safety who plays down in the box sometimes. And so it, it's a situation where he's cool, he's calling the plays. Um, if you looked at the Bills getting absolutely gashed on the ground. Um, in the, over the past two or three seasons, at least two of those games I can remember are games that he was out with an injury. Right. So the the job he does sideline to sideline to fill and f- and flow over the top and you know turn running backs inside and and shorten gains, especially if we're talking about the, an NFL that seems to be you know there's there's two ways of thinking right now: the quick distributive passing offense or teams that are like, okay, we're gonna flip the script. You got 200 pound linebackers, we're gonna come at you with 350 pound linemen and run it down your throats a la the Browns, right? Like, yep. And so there's some different approaches, and Tremaine Edmonds can can actually fill both roles. And the times that the Bills have struggled the most in the run, he's been absent, and his absence has been noticed. Um, and I do agree. I, I think that, you know, there's at least one safety that I was looking at um, as a prospect, J.L. Skinner, Boise State. Have yeah. looked at this guy? Yep, I've seen Six, him. Six, four, 220? Like... That's a that's a dime backer. That's you know what they're calling him on PFF. Like yeah. that dude can come down. He can play the box. He can drop back. Um, you know, into the deep deep middle, and uh, and has the length and range and athleticism to to make some hay. So 
I do think that the move forward for the Bills is, you know, on that second and third level is to um, re-sign Tremaine Edmonds, let Poyer walk. I wouldn't hate Terrell Edmonds. I think he's probably half the successful player that Jordan Poyer is, but I think he's a veteran, you know, doesn't make massive errors in the in the backfield, doesn't get flagged very often, plays clean, is dependable. I think that's a guy that um, Frazier could really appreciate. Right. I, I agree and with cheap. that. Yeah. I mean, is yeah. likely going to be a, a cheap option. And, you know, and so it's the way you broke down the defense is so true. Like they ask everybody to do everything on that defense it feels like like unless you're on the defensive line if you're in the back seven on that defense they ask you to do a little bit of everything and when Edmonds and Milano were playing their best is when the defensive line was doing its job getting home stopping the stopping the the run game with just four guys and when Miller went down and the productivity load had to shift to other areas on the field, more A-gap blitzes from Milano and Edmonds and stuff like that, that's when you saw the defense start to falter a little bit. Mm-hmm. So to me, yes, priority one for the defense is to re-sign Edmonds, but then priority two, and it feels like this is an effing priority every year, but it's to fix the defensive line. Yes. <laughs> I mean, and they're going to be returning a lot of guys. Miller, you assume, is going to come back healthy. Rousseau is still there. We're still stuck with Basham, Epineza, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, Ed Oliver on a fifth-year option. So yep. there's guys there, but this is also, within the, with the exception of Miller, the same guys that couldn't get it done this year. Like, this is a defensive line that is still screaming for, like you said last pod, like a heavy-set, big nose tackle that can just eat up double teams next to Ed Oliver. Um, and I don't know where they find one of those this year. Probably late, They'll probably take a shot at it later in the draft, I would assume. But when it comes to free agencies, a lot of these dudes, a lot of these dudes that are, are listed as defensive tackles, they're all going to get paid. Like Deron Payne from Washington just had a career year as a defensive tackle with 12 sacks. That's a guy I'd love to see on this defensive line next to Oliver. It's not going to happen. They're not going to, I mean, he's probably going to make upwards of 12 million going somewhere. Yeah. Javon Hargrave from Philadelphia playing in a Super Bowl, had 11 sacks this season. Also not a guy we're going to be able to, to afford. And it's interest, it'll be interesting to see because outside of defensive end, the Bills have really have really attacked the defense, interior defensive line, with the exception of Oliver, via free agency. Mm-hmm. And this feels like the first year in a long time. They're really going to have to evaluate, scout, and draft for that position this year. So, it, well, yeah. And they drafted a big body for that position in Harrison Phillips, and they decided he wasn't worth the investment. You had know, a great year did, in Minnesota. Yeah. Yeah. Had a great year in Minnesota. I think he's always going to probably be a, a, a solid, decent, rotational defensive tackle. That's his, he's, you know, probably going to have an eight or nine year career, maybe a little bit longer in the league, but, you know, never took a step forward to be, be a Duran Payne or somebody. And you wouldn't expect that from his draft, you know, Right. Uh, profile or, or athletic profile, but it's a question of, you know, when you see some players who are able to come off the practice squad and be more impactful than Bill's draft picks, that's that's a problem, right? And so Jonathan um, Kingsley, we're yes. looking at you. Yeah. It's Kingsley Jonathan. 
Oh, his is it Kingsley Jonathan? Jonathan? Yeah. Oh, no shit. See, he's a squad player, so there you Jonathan. go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, so, but I think you're right. I think it's a time that they're going to have to, like, try to find one of those zero techniques, big body lane stuffers because they've traditionally drafted small on defensive line. Even, at, you know, at the ends, you can kind of understand because they're looking for um, speed rush, but, like, in tackles, Ed Oliver is not big. Harrison Phillips was not big. He wasn't a no. huge guy. He was barely breaking 300 pounds, yeah. So it's really a question of can they find, you know, somebody who can stuff the middle, a Daquan Jones type. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm very happy that Daquan Jones is back. I think that he he was woefully missed in the Cincinnati game. Oh, for Um, sure. And I think that, uh, you know, um, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson are both free agents uh, again. I don't see either of them getting paid um, after the season they had. But I could be wrong. You know, Shaq Lawson may be a, a candidate for a team that really needs defensive end help and is looking for a two-year, $5 million DE. The Bills won't pay him that. And so no. he, may, he may walk again. Um, but I do, you know, I, they both, I believe them when they say they love it in Buffalo. And so I could see the Bills, if they make any sort of offer at all, those guys coming back. And I wouldn't hate that. I think it, on a decent vet minimum type deal, I'd take either of them. Oh, for sure, yeah. They they are the Isaiah McKenzies of the yeah. of the defense, where they just love like they've had their best years in Buffalo. Yeah. So they should want to come back. They understand that system. They're productive in that system. Um, you know, as McKenzie has said for years, he'd play for Candy if they let him. So yeah. I'm sure I'm sure Phillips or Lawson or both would be open to that kind of deal, just because they've tested the waters outside of Buffalo and it has not been kind to them. It has not been nice. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, yeah, I think that, you know, if we're working back to front, Poyer probably gone. Um, Tremaine Edmonds, I hope, to, to stay. But if not, they'll have to look. If if Tremaine Edmonds leaves, I think the Buffalo Bills probably use some of the money they were going to pay him on a free agent inside linebacker, um, a veteran. Because you, it, I cannot believe that Leslie Frazier or Sean McDermott is going to want to entrust this defense to a first-time rookie or Matt yeah. Milano play, calling the plays. Um, and I think Matt Milano is capable. He's done it before when when uh, Edmonds has been out. Um, I just don't think that that's your preferred option. I think it's probably you look for somebody who is is known in the league as a savvy inside linebacker who's played yep. in a, diff- a couple of different defenses and, and get, get people lined up the right way um, because I don't know that that's been Matt Milano's strong point because they've, they've asked others to do that different times i agree it would have to be a veteran that you replace edmonds with and we've said this a thousand times edmonds is probably the smartest player on that defense like the pre-snap reads he makes are peyton manning-esque a lot of times um on the defensive side of the ball if i had to if i had to compare him to an offensive counterpart where he where he gets followed up is where Joe Burrow can get followed up sometimes. It's after the snap, right? Yep. Reading the QB's eyes. But pre-snap, he can diagnose just about anything. Like, that dude is just, he is physical, he is smart. And if he does walk or the Bills don't resign him, it, some defense, and I worry about New England, is going to get a lot better yeah. <laughs> when yeah. they sign him. Like, yep. I, can you imagine him in a Belichick offense? Well, or Belichick they, defense. Yeah, I mean that's no, a three. I, they play a three-four. I get that. They play three-four, but they play three-four attacking. So yes. I, I could see him, kind of like how we were talking before. I said use him as a sword, not a shield. 
If, yeah. if, if a smart defensive coach gets him in that role and is able to tell him to like, you know, your only assignment on this play isn't to know everything and cover up everyone's flaws. Right. It's literally to just be a heat seeking missile towards the ball. Like I, I, I worry about the bills if he's in the AFC. If that's the in, case. Me too. I'd, I'd rather see him go anywhere else. Yep. <laughs> Ideally yep. the NFC. Yes. Right. But that, that tells you the caliber of player he is. Like, would you want to play against this guy at this stage in his career? The answer is no. And if no. the answer is no, you should do what you can to keep him on the team. Which as a counterpoint. And, and again, we like, I can't overstate how much we love Jordan Poyer. I would rather go against Jordan Poyer on an at this stage. Defense. I agree. Yeah, at this stage in his career than Tremaine Edmonds. Um, it sucks to say, man, because I love yes. that dude. I mean, we I just know. we can't say it enough. Like, and did you read the the Tim Graham athletic interview that he did with with Poyer? Like, oh, it, is it recent? It, yeah, it came out. Uh, I think I read it yesterday. Oh, okay, um, yeah, check it out. And it it was just like it, Poyer is the best interview in the league, as far as I'm concerned. Like his post game pressers. The time that he spends with the media, like he just, he goes so in depth and so in detail into everything. And he really talked about how much adversity this team faced this year, how hard it was for him. He said it was the the hardest season he's ever been through. And he was just so open and honest about it. Um, and, And like, that's just the most authentic dude I think you could meet. And that's why people gravitate towards him. And that's why he's such a great leader in that locker room. And I stress this point because we're saying you got to walk away because that's the business decision, but we're also not saying that it's going to be easy to replace him because on the field and off the field, I mean, that, that dude was a foundation for this team and the culture shift that McDermott and Bean were able to bring about. So, so even though he's the likely candidate out, he's not going to be easy to replace either. Um, I, I think I may have brought this up in the pod before, but I also am sort of, it's going to be very interesting for me with free agency and what happens specifically with Jordan Poyer because of his injuries. You know, he missed five or six games um, to injury or at least portions of a number of games. He, he, he played through like 12 different injuries. Some games, yeah. you know, some games he got dinged up and he didn't miss a snap. And didn't miss the next week either. And so there's a lot there. And, you know, gritty, tough, strong leader. Um, I think there's so much to offer. But it is the business. And we keep saying, like, of course we don't want the Bills to move on from Jordan Poyer. But I wonder about other teams, too. um, In what they're going to be willing to offer a safety on the wrong side of 30. In a position that until very recently was relatively undervalued in the league. I mean, safety's regularly went out into the free agency to break the bank and then couldn't, right? Um, I think Tyron Matthew a few years ago was considered, it was going to get like $16 million a year and came back, uh, ended up going to what the saints for like pennies on that. Like it yeah. was, yeah. I so, think it was like a te- 10 million with yeah, incentives. Yeah. Yeah. And so I really wonder what the market's going to bear with the number of veteran safeties out there and available and Poyer's injuries from this year. Um, granted he's, you know, an all pro year, all pro po and, uh, a clear leader and was leading the league in interceptions for the first portion of the season before injuries and kind of Micah Hyde's absence to kind of derail that a little bit. And so, you know, it's a year that he could hang his hat on and and really get paid, but I, you know, 
I wonder what his market's going to bear out. And if the Bills even have a shot. If, if, there's, if, if the first wave of free agency passes and he doesn't have a $12 million plus per year contract, I would not put it past being finding a way to get two years, $13 million per year, and give him a respectable salary, you know, that mm. the Bills can try to fit under the cap. But I just don't uh, see it. Yeah. That's it. And that, oh man, I would love that. It's a it's it's a dream scenario that I would love, and and there are not a lot of safety hungry teams out there. I mentioned Chicago because they just they need everything. They need everything, yeah. Yeah, Cleveland is turning over its safety room, and Poyer's got a brief history with Cleveland, right? Yep. Um, Jacksonville is another one off the top of my head. Jacksonville might actually be an interesting landing spot for him. Um, it's a team that's ascending. It's got a young QB, veteran coach. Um, and probably could use some more veteran leadership on the defensive side of the ball. That could be very sure. a very interesting spot for him. So, but you're right; it's a crowded market. We mentioned some of the names that were out there already: Von Bell, Jesse Bates. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see, man. I would hate to say goodbye to Poyer, but as yeah. we are doing the post mortem on the Bills, he is likely one of the ones that is going to be out. So, I think we've covered it. As yeah. far as, yeah, I think we've covered it as far as defensive needs. Like, they got to figure something out of defensive tackle. Really, we're talking, like, just up the up the gut of the defense. Yes, true. Defensive center. tackle, yeah. linebacker at the second level, and then a safety to play opposite Hyde um, yeah. next season. And then we'll be talking about how do we replace Micah Hyde and all that stuff. Yep. It, the more I think about it in the draft, as much as I would love for the Bills to, to take um, – a big hefty guard with the 27 pick or draft a speedy wide receiver the bills not just projecting out to this year but next year they just need so much um they're going to be turning over a lot of positions in a couple of years this feels like a year where being trades back get some more assets and we see double dips in the defensive backfield the linebacker room, offensive guard, and wide receivers. I just think Bean tries to accumulate as many picks as he can, and he just drafts for need. Because um, they're Gabe Davis is going to be due for a contract and, yep. after next season, and I don't know that he gets one, and there's yeah. no one on the roster that can yep. replace him right now. So Ed Oliver's got, due for a contract after yep. this season. Mitch Morris nope. is up after next year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And there's just uh, the, the cupboards bare as far as yep. next man up and who's replacing these guys. So this is not a great year to only have six draft picks, but but you know we'll see what Bean does with that. But it feels like a trade-back year more than anything else. Well, and that's that's the thing that I think I even texted you. Like the more I look at this draft class, the more I, I I'm hopeful that they make that move. And it twenty seven twenty eight pick is a perfect place to be if you want to trade back because yeah. there will be a team that needs a key piece that's going to reach and want to reach up into the end of the first round so they can get a fifth year option on somebody. If there's a wide receiver, if there's a quarterback falling that they think is like a key piece of their rebuild. There are some needy teams with way more draft capital who will probably be hungry for that spot at the end of the first round. Again, just for that fifth-year option. Every contract after the first first round is four years only. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I'm 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 very deep into like mock drafts and draft class books, and you know, there's a lot of draft draft analysts that don't have a first round grade on more than 25 guys in the draft this year so that's the other thing just because someone is drafted in the first round doesn't mean their grade was first round and we know that bean and mcdermott 
one of the consistent pieces of their tenure has been is they stick with their grades. So if there is not a guy on the board that they can attain a 27 who is who is carries a first round grade for them, I think they'd be more than willing to trade back um, and double dip at some of these positions where they have depth issues this year and next year. Yeah, it, it's it's the Chiefs model. It's time to get younger. It's yeah. what you do when you have a high priced QB. You hit on QB. Congratulations. Now you got to hit it everywhere else, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you have to let rookies play. Hashtag you got let to play. Yeah. Yes. You got got to um, let them let them learn from it. Yeah. I know. I it, I'm remiss to get this far into the podcast. We're gonna go and and uh, be joined by our, our friend Steve to talk about the Dolphins, as I teased at the beginning of the pod here in a minute. Um, you know, after we do a quick kind of Super Bowl prediction, but uh, I, we got this far without talking about one of the biggest, most important things of this offseason, and that is, do you re-sign punter Sam Martin? Oh man, I like Sam Martin. I like his I knuckleball. Too. I like yeah. his knuckleball. It, will Will Sam play for peanuts? That is the question, right. <laughs> because he's a he's a he's a veteran punter, and I actually think that commands a few million <laughs> yeah. in, against the yeah. salary cap. So, will he take an incentive laden deal like so many so many muffed punts, and and he hits his <laughs> his his dream package, <laughs> right? I don't know. Yeah, no, I love I love Sam, but uh, I think that they're probably going to draft some kid in the sixth round or seventh round, and hope he doesn't blow it yeah 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 i mean you're probably right um we'll see we'll see what what cracks with uh free agency that's the thing about uh the draft is is like you said it's it's kind of a fool's errand to talk it talk draft before free agency happens because you don't even know what your team's needs are at this point right but um but yeah so what do you what do you think about the super bowl dan transitioning to kind of our, our last topic before our interview oh man um, fly Eagles fly. Like, yes. I'm, I, I'm not rooting for Mahomes. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and we said it last pod, this is like, this is the bills Christmas past versus the bills Christmas future. Like watching these two teams, the chiefs have done it year after year now with a high priced QB and they've built through the draft and, and hit on some free key agent signings or free agent signings. And then you've got the Eagles who have a cheap rookie QB on a rookie contract, and they just threw a ton of money everywhere else, right? I mean, eight, I think seven or eight of their 11 defensive starters are going to be free agents at the end of the yes. season. So the Eagles were all in for this year, and I think that pays off for them. I'm taking the Eagles to win this game. And right now, the spread, what's the spread? The spread on this game is, is Philly one and a half. And I get it's okay. a neutral site game, but man, Philly's really good. And people have been looking for reasons to not pick Philly all year. Philly's really, really good. Like from top to bottom, that's the deepest, most versatile team in the league. If Hertz plays a good game, like just a good game, not even a great game, a good game, Philly, we could be in blowout territory here relatively quickly. Like it could be a lopsided game. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that this defense is it's the Philly defense is insane. Coverage just, sacks everywhere. Yeah, How nice yeah, is that to see yeah, coverage sacks? <laughs> well, and and it's just it's just crazy to me that they were able to trade for Chauncey Gardner Johnson at safety, who like was missing for por- portion of the season, but like seemed like a bust to start, and then has just turned it on with their their defense and their and their style. Their defensive line, their entire defensive line are all free agents, and all of them are going to get plus 
13 million dollars per year it's just like berries of bradbury's a free agent at the end of this year too right yeah and he yeah and he's a he's a player too that um has a late career resurgence Mm -hmm. um is probably at this point what you'd consider a lockdown number two corner yeah we'll take take away any team's second best wide receiver with consistency um yeah they, they just have such an excellently built free agent you know defense Yep. And then on their, you know, I mean, they have Damakong Su. Like, come on. Like, it's just, just to throw in, right? Yeah, just as like as just a person. Linval Joseph, just as a, you know, late late life rotational defensive tackles who were kind of top of the top some years ago. Um, and their team is extremely, like you said, extremely expensive, except for the quarterback position, which, you know, that, that matters. That matters the most. You can build You can build the championship team in two ways on a rookie QB contract and then through the draft. Like that's it. Those are yeah. the two ways. Yeah. Those are your two paths to success. And ironically, both of those paths have ended up in the Super Bowl. So yep. props to both organizations. People thought the Chiefs were dead after that Tyree Kill trade and they literally didn't miss a beat. <laughs> yeah. I speaking of the Chiefs and transitioning it back to the Bills for just one beat, um, before we kind of move on to the next segment of the pod. I would like to see the Bills do what the Chiefs did when Tyreek left, which is Travis Kelsey was their number one pass catcher in their offense in general, and Tyreek was kind of a 1A. I would like to see Dawson Knox be a 1B to Stefan Diggs 1A, and that takes the pressure off of hitting on or finding your wide receiver 2, and hopefully let's... Um, Gabriel Davis get back into the role he's supposed to be in, which is like an afterthought wide receiver two or three, you know? And so who can sneak behind the defense? I just, I agree. I want to see Dawson Knox take a massive step forward this year. They gave him the big money. It's time for him to earn it. I, I agree. And I think part of the path to getting him there is to improve the offensive line. So you yes. don't need to keep Knox so much as an inline yes. blocker all the time. So he can be a pass catching. Uh, yes. A, a so he can. Yeah. Yes, Kelsey doesn't need to block anybody. Kelsey no. like literally runs free all the time. Like he pretends like he's going to block, and then he leaks out five yards and he's wide open. I mean, they. I don't think Kelsey has thrown a block all season. And if we could get <laughs> Knox to play in that role, then yes, he will absolutely be productive. Yeah, wide receiver two, Dawson Knox. I'm campaigning for it. All right, so um, that concludes the Buffalo Bills portion. Please stick with us because we're going to have a. A uh, scintillating interview with uh, a longtime friend of mine, Steve, who's a Dolphins fan, about their um, their season and kind of where they go from here as we continue and, and wrap up, actually, our AFC East post-mortem. We had um, Brandon for the, the Patriots, then Jared for the Jets, and, and now Steve for the Dolphins. Um, yep. yeah. And now we get a well-deserved break, my yep. friend. So That's we're right. going to lament the bills not being in the super bowl and then the pod is gonna go silent uh post super bowl and we will pick it back up uh when the league year starts so the week of march 7th we will be tuned back into the pod here to start talking free agency and then a little bit more draft as the new league year begins so until that time enjoy your break from buffalo bread like share and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and as always go bills go bills
right, now we're uh, we're back with our special guest, Steve, who I worked with prior in a, in a job and learned is a massive Dolphins fan. Uh, we're continuing our tour around the AFC East uh, this week, and uh, as I mentioned, a Dolphins fan joining us to give a fan perspective for the Dolphins, their season, maybe their off-season plans and going forward in the next year. Um, and we worked from, from worst to best around the AFC, and the, the Dolphins, of course, were the only other AFC team other than Buffalo to make a playoff berth, uh, and that must have been exciting for you, Steve. Um, to get us started, though, tell us how, how you became a, a Dolphins fan. Yeah, you know, like so many people my age, Dan Marino. Um, so I grew up in Pennsylvania, and early 90s, I mean, Dan the man, right? And watching him on TV, everyone always said, oh, Pittsburgh native, Pittsburgh native, Dan Marino, University of Pittsburgh. And I'm like, oh, he's a Pennsylvania guy, too. You know, grew up in Pittsburgh. And so I'm like, I'm a Dolphins fan. Um, I'd say it was a little more complicated than that, but it wasn't. So and uh, I've lived through the good, the bad, the ugly. And here we are. I'm not sure which of the three we're at, but um, (laughs) I've been a lifelong fan. Sure. Yeah, we can we can diagnose that with you a little bit here today. Um, I guess to start us off, I mean, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I feel like we've seen all three in Tua Tagovailoa's career. Like, where where are we now? Is he the guy? A conversation that Dan and I have had for a Buffalo Bills podcast mm-hmm. a surprising amount of times. So. We really have yeah. de- dedicated a lot of pod time to Tua. Um, and just so you know, like. I think I was more of a Tua fan in the beginning, and then ironically, as he got good, I was less of a Tua fan, and JJ, you were not on the Tua bandwagon, and now I think you are, right? Yes. Yeah. I, fl- I flipped. You You were a Tua apologist. I was a Tua basher for a long time, and then <laughs> as he got better, Dan softened, and I became like way more invested in Tua mm-hmm. and, and a, a <laughs> fan really of his. crazy. So I was like, wow, he's really good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if I think if I could add a fourth dimension to that, the good, yeah. the bad, the ugly, and the unknown. Sure, um, okay. You know, after this after this season, I think there's a lot of unknowns, particularly around his health, right? Um, and I think that's that's going to be a deciding factor with is two of the guy, right? Is, is ultimately his health. And, I mean, he just got out of concussion protocol, I think, last week after being in it for a month. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how the off season progresses, his health progresses, but, uh, I think he's in the right system with the right head coach. Um, I think just the, the style of offense that Brian Flores wanted to, to play, um, did not fit him. And so bringing in, um, Mike McDaniel, I think he's, he's the right guy and, uh, hopefully their chemistry continues and, um, I don't know that you'll ever see him at a, a Dan Marino type of status because let's be honest, there hasn't been a quarterback since Marino that even has compared. Um, but I, I think he has a lot of promise. He's in the right system. He's got incredible receivers around him. Um, it's it's continuing to refine that supporting cast, especially the offensive line. Um, but but yeah, ultimately his health is is what's going to be uh, the determining factor as to if he's the guy. Yeah, I, th- I think from our perspective, having you know watched the Dolphins with a vested interest as an AFC East opponent, um, my observations this year, the reason that Tua com- convinced me he is the guy um, in a lot of ways, I- again, I think his longevity in the league is a question, like you said, the unknown, but 
Um, the thing that convinced me is his quick decision making and distribution of the football. He, he, I've seen many NFL quarterbacks succeed and have long careers. I mean, you could argue that Drew Brees' Hall of Fame career is a Tua style, you know, delivery and quick distribution offense. And I think that um, the real question then becomes like, you know, can he? get healthy, stay healthy, get right, um, and continue doing that. Because when he makes those quick reads and sends it to one of his, you know, elite speedster wide receivers, it's lookout league, right? Like the whole middle part of the league from the Bills win to the Bills loss was sort of a time, you know, I guess the two, two losses on the West Coast before the Bills' second meetup. Um, that was the the heyday for, for Tua, you know, making kind of an, many times an MVP caliber uh, move uh, for the middle part of the season, which I don't think anybody, including myself, expected from him this season. And so, yeah, that's it's um, a thorough answer on on Tua as the yeah. guy. And, and yeah, especially marks. especially with a new head coach, you don't know what you're going to get. Right, yeah. first full, really truly full year of being a starter, um, new head coach, new wide receiver. You just don't know what you're going to get. A lot of questions last off season about arm strength. You know, there were people poking fun at, is Tyreek Hill too fast for Tua? Um, but but I think he proved a lot of people wrong this year, both arm strength, decision-making. Um, and, and yeah, I think it should be a lot of fun. The one thing I will say about Drew Brees is his offensive line. Vastly different, you know, all pros all the way around that gave him that time, um, that extra time if he needed it. And I think the Dolphins can get there, then I think they're onto something. I agree. I totally agree with that, Steve. I JJ's point about Tua being a really good point guard and distributing the ball was exactly what that t- team needed because in the beginning of the season they were seeing so much zone, and mm-hmm. Tua did so well against cover two shells. He did a really good job of exploiting the middle of the field, and he. I mean. Arm, the arms to your point about the arm strength argument his average yards per attempt for the first time in his career was approaching the sticks like normally is like 5.7 5.6 yards he was throwing at the sticks on a regular basis on first and second down taking advantage of really soft zone coverage and getting the ball to the to to hill and to waddle um at a really high rate at a really successful rate I think the offensive line is going to need to be tweaked because I think coming into next year, after the game that the Chargers put up against you guys and the and the 49ers put up against you guys, I think you're going to see more man and you're going to see a lot more mm-hmm. press man early on in the season to see if Tua can go through a three or four step four drop progression as they look to disrupt disrupt the route timing and release of those wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. And that is all going to hinge on how much protection that offensive line can give. So if I'm the Dolphins and I'm approaching this offseason, Tua for sure is getting his fifth-year option. And then to see if he is, in fact, the guy, I need to build a good offensive line around him to Mm -hmm. give him time to go through those reads in depth against more man coverage, which I think you guys are going to see at a higher rate. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, the offseason, um, you know, in addition to the line, having that running back that can just stick a block when needed. You know, I think Jeff Wilson, can, you know, he's that big back. He can probably, you know, f- should they re-sign him? Um, definitely should be that guy. Um, and reading different things, you know, they're saying between Mostert and, and Jeff Wilson Jr., like 
that's a that's a great running back tandem. They have a lot of chemistry together and with McDaniel, and so like that's one of their priorities, I think. Um, and the other is a tight end that you know can on those that fourth option where it's just a dump out to the tight end. Um, I love Mike Jacecki. Um, I think he's an amazing person, um, but he doesn't have that big body tight end that you need sometimes on the ends to uh, to block that that pass rusher or that blitzer. I think that that's something we observed as well um, with Jacecki uh, is that he, he's this athletic pass catching tight end type. Um, but the the blocking half of that role, because you you have you spend half your meeting times as a tight end in the NFL in the line room with the offensive line, and half your time with the receivers. Mm-hmm. And he he seemed to always get the receiver the receiver reps down and make some incredible catches and really get open and make some nice separation. Um, but because of the wide zone rushing scheme and the different things that McDaniel brought in, Jacecki kind of disappeared this year. Like he did not have this breakout blow up season. Like you'd expect somebody who um, is, is moving into an offense that um, George Kittle was in, right? Like mm-hmm. that's sort you expect that to be a little bit more of a, um, you know, uptick in tight end snaps, targets and production. And he didn't have it. And I'm, he's a, he's a free agent. Is he? Yeah, this he year? is. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, there's some questions there. Um, we've talked quite a bit about fixing the offensive line, resigning the you know running back tandem or finding a good pass blocking relief valve running back what are some uh priorities that you think that the dolphins will need to undergo for the defensive side of the ball i think the secondary is certainly needs improvement i think the the linebacking core the the front the, the defensive front um is is pretty above average um but the secondary one health health was a huge issue all season for them um but especially towards the latter part of the season between injuries and uh just the wear of the season they got torched a lot especially across the middle and just giving up way too many big plays especially you know those third and longs and and whatnot and so i think that's should be a focus as well um is that secondary um, I, you know, this is not, not scripted. I didn't let you prepare for this, but if you having seen just, just if we're talking about the bills and dolphins games over the past two years, would you trade Jalen Phillips for Greg Rousseau one-to-one? They played in the same, same college team. They were picked a few picks apart in the draft. Just what you've seen. I love Phillips. I think yeah. he just brings that, that little bit extra. Yeah. Um, and I, I love I, I, I so answer the question no okay. um, I, I would yep. keep Phillips sure that's a reasonable so, answer yeah, yeah. Oh, we, we would also in your shoes keep Phillips as well <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. we'd be ha- yeah. and that's no that's no shade at Rousseau right but yeah. like to me his ceiling is kind of like a like a Sam Hubbard on Cincinnati where he's gonna he's gonna get after it but there's always gonna be like just a wall he ends up hitting at some point in mm-hmm. the season like Rousseau is not gonna be dominant without a guy like Avon Miller opposite him. I think Phillips has the juice to be like Avon Miller and really be yeah. the leader on a defensive front. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I was going to say too, is I think that from a motor perspective, I choose Phillips. You know, yeah. hundred percent. So, 
Yeah, and he was picked. He was picked earlier in the draft. Like it, it makes sense that you know if if you're a talent evaluator, they were picked where they were supposed to be picked. Yep. Yeah. No, Steve. You again. We are not scripted, so feel yeah. free to like not answer this question if you don't want to. But <laughs> but you guys just came to terms with I think Vic Fangio to be your new DC, and he, his specialty is zone defenses that really help out the secondary. He brings a, a cover two mentality, a two high shell mentality. Um, and likes to rush four and drop five, which is a, a, dra- a, a rush four and drop seven, which is a drastic departure from what you guys did this year, mm-hmm. which was blitz at the third highest rate. Fangio has never blitzed more than, I think, 28% total snaps in a season and uh, any given season in his career. So it looks like your secondary is going to get some scheme help there as well. Um, what, are, what are your hopes for Fangio and what he could potentially do for your defense? You know, different people that I'm seeing on different forums and whatnot, they're saying Fangio could be the best signing of the offseason for the Dolphins. I totally agree. Right? <laughs> and so, um, and, I, and I really, truly hope that that's the case, that he can come in, he can help fix the secondary. Um, because of dropping seven, that could maybe provide a little bit of extra help, um, but that then means the health of your defense up front, your linebacking core, that, you know, just one or two of those guys, like they've got to be on point every single snap. Yeah. Um, and so evaluating all of those players and figuring out, all right, is this the right group? And who do we resign? Who do we let go? Who do we try to pick up? Um, you know, and I think unfortunately for the next two years, they're going to really have to rely on free agency more than they will the draft just because of picks they've traded away, picks they've lost. Um, free agency is going to be the way that they're going to compete. Yeah, I agree with that. Another piece that helps Fangio's scheme is having really good safeties, and y'all got a good one in Javon Holland. That yes, that dude is going to be terrifying in Fangio's yeah. scheme. Like he's already a beast. What mm-hmm. Fangio is going to do for that guy's career is going to be like Troy Palomalu esque. Like he's really going to ascend. Um, and I liked the move, and to me it. it it harkened back to um, McVeigh when he first got the job in in L.A. And um, he brought on Wade Phillips as his D.C., um, pretty much turning over all defensive play calling to a trusted former head coach, veteran type of personality on the coaching staff. And it allowed McVeigh to learn the CEO stuff of being a head coach that needs to happen. And I think it's going to have the same effect on McDaniel bringing in a guy who like Fangio, who's a former head coach, veteran coaching staff presence, a guy who will command respect in the locker room, but also let McDaniel learn the other layers of his job as head coach. So now I think it's great for the personnel. It's great for the coaching staff. Um, I'm terrified that you guys are going to be so well coached next year. It was only a couple of years ago that me and JJ were making jokes. Uh, are you an office fan by any chance? I sure am. At co-regional managers, when you guys Absolutely. had co- co-offensive coordinators, yes. that was that yes. was a jo- regular joke on the pod, and we yeah. can't make it anymore because you guys yeah. are pretty solid all the way around. <laughs> now, with the exception of ha- of forfeiting and vacating your first round pick for attempting to get Tom Brady, um, that's on the owner. The Dolphins, yeah, yeah, the do- <laughs> on the owner. Yeah. That Other idiot. than that one, <laughs> that one flub, the Dolphins over the past two years have have re- made remarkable strides to the point of you know a playoff berth and you know challenging and splitting with Buffalo this year, 
Um, Dan and I joke all the time about we expected that after Josh Allen was drafted, it seemed like the real deal. The Dolphins were sort of flailing. The Jets were flailing. The uh, Patriots were descending. We were like, all right, it's our 20 years now. The Patriots had the previous 20 years. Now the Bills get 20 years. And no, it's not happening. I think that this AFC East is probably going to be the most competitive division in the AFC after what we've seen from the Broncos and, you know, the Chargers turnover and some different things. So, yeah, I think it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be a fun time for the rivalry. I don't think that the Bills or Dolphins really had much of a rivalry while they were both getting stomped by the Patriots for 20 <laughs> right. years. Um, but I will say the Dolphins usually had the best success against those Patriots, and I very much appreciate I was a Dolphins fan by extension, every time they play yes. the Patriots. Yes, so, yeah. the, uh, the regular season Patriots, uh, the Dolphins could compete against them. Yes. Not so much the uh, the playoff Patriots. Yeah, exactly. So no, they just, they just turned could. it on. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, I'm excited too, you know, just to, just to always be in it. You know, that's always, that's the fun that continues through the season that makes it exciting through week 17, week 18. Um and and I really hope you know the Dolphins' track record of starting off hot and then fading, even saw it this year, starts to end where they can continue to compete um, down the stretch. You know, just health has always gotten them. Um, and and for whatever reason, maybe it's competitive balance. They always seem to play in Buffalo and in New England in December. Um, and in September, they played in Miami against the two. Um, it would be interesting if things were flip-flopped um, right. for, for competitiveness. So, Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I think every Bills fan would prefer to play the Bills and Dolphins game, the first meeting in Buffalo, and then the second meeting in December, so that their sideline's not 116 degrees, and they don't have people dying of heat stroke. Yeah. No yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, and, and I think that the Dolphins um, would probably appreciate Buffalo weather in September, over the yes. weather at home, and uh, I think vice versa. The Bills would appreciate Miami weather in December versus the yep. weather at home. Because yep. like Dan likes to say, this Buffalo Bills team, is con- it's a dome team. They it's built a, it. It really team. is a dome team, yeah. It's not like four yards in a cloud or three yards in a cloud of dust, you know, right. midway monsters, bears teams of the past that love playing in nasty, nasty conditions. No, they are a precision Lamborghini, and wet roads are not admissible. Yeah, I, I mean, you saw that Stefan Diggs. I'll, I'll throw a little little jab there at the Bills. Yeah. You know, Stefan Diggs, it got cold out and he disappeared. Yeah, um, no, that's You true. know, the, the last week of fantasy football in my one league, I questioned whether or not to start him. I'm like, between Josh Allen's possible, you know, injury, elbow injury and yeah. Diggs' performance, do I start him? Um, yeah. so, I can, so I can appreciate the, uh, the, the finely tuned Lamborghini um, needs to play in the dome come like December. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, if the bills were able to advance past the Bengals, uh, I was very happy that they'd be playing in a dome, even if it meant that they weren't playing at home, right? Like, or Kansas city. Absolutely. But yeah. So, so yeah, that's, um, you were talking bills. We're talking dolphins. Any other, you know, I guess any other comments on McDaniel coaching the, the culture he's built there, the guys seem to love him in that in that building. He's he's a player's coach. Um, at the end of the day, and I think the the energy that he brings, the style that he brings, um, he's he seems incredibly relatable to the players, and I think that's how he's built their their respect. 
Um, I think bringing in a guy just to kind of bring it all full circle again, you know, bringing in a guy like Fangio, Fangio like he's going to be able to learn a different dimension, mature a little bit as a head coach, maybe make some of those decisions um, on the sideline that, that the two minute offense a little bit faster. Um, you saw that against Buffalo in the playoffs where down the stretch, all of a sudden it was like, why are we getting delay of uh, delay of game calls? You know, with less than a minute to go, offensive uh, false starts. Like, and and so I hope that 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 maturation process as a head coach continues. Yeah, and, and I think it will. I mean, we saw in Buffalo from 2017 to 2020, um, Sean McDermott was a pretty poor game manager at the start of his career as a coach, and definitely has developed into you know time management, end of the mm-hmm. halves, you know end of the game situations he tends to, to do a very nice job now but it was not always the case right it certainly was not the same as when rex ryan managed the team though and you know we would pretty regularly run out of time or timeouts try to call timeouts when we didn't have them 12 men on the field the play was never coming in like that was a mess yeah we've yeah. all had messes as coaches for both of our respective franchises oh, we did. for years we did for years yeah yeah no something interesting um and i I don't think i realized this until i was uh i was listening to the um nfl ringer show and um they had said that this was mcdaniel mcdaniel's first season calling plays and i I thought back and i realized yeah in san francisco shanahan called the plays Mm -hmm. so what did you think of mcdaniel the play caller versus mcdaniel the coach That's a great question. I actually haven't ever thought of that, you know, thought of the, the, the splitting the two. Um, I think there were times when, when two was healthy, um, that the playbook was wide open and he could be creative. He could take some, some different shots down the field or, or different unique plays um, because he had the trust in Tua. When you saw Teddy Bridgewater in, when you saw Skylar Thompson in, it was a completely different, like completely different offense and play calling. Um, a little more conservative, maybe a little bit more run heavy, a little hesitant to take that those deep shots. Um, and so I, I, I think the skill sets there. I think he learned a lot, um, but but there's definitely room for improvement as a play caller. Um, again, getting back to that time management, clock management, uh, I think that's really where that improvement needs to be. So you, you, it sounds like, and if I'm off on this, let me know. It sounds like you're saying that you think he's farther ahead as a play caller presently than he is as a like CEO, game management, head coach position person. Yeah, I mean, I think I think coming in as a first year head coach, you know, you see the plays, you know the plays. Um, I don't think it was coincidence that Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson from the 49ers came along, um, where where some of that play calling may have become a little bit easier because because he had guys he already knew, um, you know, in this in in the new system, and so uh, I think that was a huge help as a play caller, you know, it's just that, again, that continued maturation process where, you know, refining some of those play calling, um, those scenarios 
and then that that ceo piece of what it means to be a head coach yeah, uh, here on the Bills pot on, on Buffalo Bread, we refer to guys like Jeff Wilson and, and Raheem Moster as Dean Marlowe's. Everybody a coach brings with them anywhere they go, it's like yep. their safety blanket. They're like yep. a guy that t- will teach the other players things in the room for them. That's a Dean Marlowe. Absolutely. Yep. Sure. All right. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking some time, Steve. I would like to, if you're interested, I hate to put you on the spot, come back uh, with us to do a mock draft with our other experts from around the AFC East, closer to draft time, if you're interested. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm awesome. I'm there. We'll, we'll, we'll get that going. We'll do a live, uh, you know, maybe not a full seven-round mock because that could take some time. <laughs> maybe like top three rounds um, with with all yeah. our friends from other other two fan bases. Yep. And uh, for this year, that might be a little easy for me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't think we have a whole lot of picks coming up. This is correct. For, uh, you guys are a little white on the draft picks. <laughs> we have a, let's see, I'm, I'm looking here. I just pulled it up real quick. Uh, zero first round picks, one second, and two thirds. There you go. You'll still have three picks, though. Right. If we do so, a three round mock. There yeah. we go. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, again. Thanks for thanks for coming on and uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Yep. Take care.